Hello and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad that you're joining us again today. Today we're going to be speaking on a very important theme, and that is we can change the world. That's right. That's right. We, us, and in fact, as Margaret Mead has said, and I have at the bottom of my emails, each and every one, indeed, it is only a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens that have ever changed the world. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Excuse me. It's the only thing that ever has. Famous, internationally renowned anthropologist, Margaret Mead, who, by the way, I had the, the pleasure and distinct honor of meeting up in Toronto back in the early 1970s when I was a wee lad and uh, attending an anthropology convention at the York Hotel. I'll never forget it. She made quite an impression on me back then and still does. And so here we are today in the year 2018 and I have her quote at the bottom of my email, every single one I send. I have that one. I have a couple of others, which I think I will share because it's directly related to this idea of changing the world and that we ourselves are the change agents. We're not waiting for governments and presidents and ministers and commissioners and premiers and prime ministers and the like to do our bidding because they don't and they ain't going to start. They do it in wee-wee little little dribs and drabs, but that isn't going to be sufficient for the issues that we are facing, and I'll be going into that in a little bit. As well, needless to say, as the main focus, the solutions. But just to revert back for a moment to the other, I feel, salient uh, quotes that I have here uh, that I send out to people every single day I send an email. So I started with Margaret Mead. The next one is this. You never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. Okay, does anybody want to guess who that is? Hey, if you have an answer, please call at 602 753 1860 602-753-1860, or if it's after the show and you're listening, as most people do, uh, in your own leisure time as a podcast, you can call me at 212-420-0800, 212-420-0800, or send an email to mjr at abetterworld.net. So voila. I'd love to hear what you are thinking about who it is who came up with that fantastic phrase. And last for now is, quote, it always seems impossible until it's done. All right, I'll give that one to you. Nelson Mandela. I love that. It always seems impossible until it's done. And if we look at his life, it seemed impossible uh, 
that after 27 years, he would be actually released from jail. He was uh, kept there for almost three decades. And what a bleak, at least from the outside, it looks very bleak. How do you keep a flame alive in that context? Breaking rocks, being on a chain gang, living in a, in a, in a box. I mean, unbelievable. But he did. And so it seems perfectly fitting that of all people who would come up with this brilliant phrase, it was he. It always seems impossible until it's done. And then it seems like the most obvious thing in the world. Of course they had to let him out. Why? Because the dam was leaking. The energy field in the invisible world had mounted so high. The words, the emphasis, the feelings, the commitment are all filling the space between people. I always talk about the fields, the morphogenetic field, the quantum field. These are utterly fertile, in fact, pregnant with our energy and our thoughts and our ideas and our verbalizations, our communications. We project our word into the space and it begins to gain momentum. And that, in fact, is how we change the world. You bet. That's really the way it works. So we want to take a step back and take a look at that whole phenomenon. So, and that, of course, is what we're going to be doing today. But I want to kind of start from a larger picture, if you will. And by the way, I just to say, I, I just so appreciate all of your, your rapt attention and your sharing this show with your friends and your family and your colleagues and even your adversaries. It's okay with me. Uh, And the reason I say that is because we have people in Australia and India and Africa and Europe and South America and Mexico and lots of places, Canada, of course, UK, that are listening to me on A Better World and listening to the guests that we have week after week, just about every week, and all just kind of playing the same chords, strumming the same tunes, if you will, Uh, while rather different in nature. It's always about what can we do to to improve the lot of people on the planet? How can we reconfigure, reshape, transform, change, upgrade, evolve? These are words that we really want to have populating our conversations with people every single day. What can be possible? How do we upgrade? What does that look like? And when we ask these questions, we're asking them into the field. And 
As a result, the field is a form of mirror, some kind of large cosmic mirror, and it begins to reflect back the answers. One fellow I studied with many years ago said, whenever you ask the question, uh, any question, your brain is designed as a problem solver to seek the answer to the question because a question actually creates a level of tension as it is seeking solution and the brain doesn't want to be in a quandary. It doesn't want to be in tension for any great length of time. So it goes on a search. It goes on a quest, a mission, a quest to answer the question. And so this is the type of inquiry and this is the type of uh, conversation we often have here on A Better World in one way, shape, form, or another. And your rapt attention and your sharing this with others and you're just absorbing for yourself on the levels of heart and soul the idea, the purport, the intent behind these shows. Each and every one is of great value to me because that is really truly my purpose is realized when the audience gets it and goes, yeah, I hear that, Mitchell Raven. Oh, yeah, I get it. This guy is up to something here. He really wants things to change, and his words are directed toward that outcome, and he's bringing us all along with that perspective and that mission. And that's true. That is true. Because the clock is ticking, folks. And, uh, you know, I love to be of the mindset. I truly do. That things are getting better and better. I love it. But are they? Well, I'll tell you. They're going to start getting better and better in my mind. I can assure you of that. They're going to get better and better. And they are getting better and better in at least my circles, or I should say, more accurately, our circles. And then, how do I put it? There's the rest of the world. Yes, 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 our brothers and sisters. But don't you want to sometimes hit your head against the wall and say, please, please, let's step on it. I was just in the post office a little while ago, and there were two women who did not pay a whole lot of attention to their own physical health. They were uh, stocky, to put it kindly. They were obese, and they both had their cell phones brandished, and while waiting in line, they were watching some kind of video. I don't know if it's YouTube, or I have no clue but they were listening to whatever it was loudly. So everyone else in the line had to listen to one, or at least hear, if not listen. And it was nothing short of annoying. And they had no clue as to how they were affecting the commons, the public space. 
And honestly, typically, I would tap one of them on the shoulder and wink and say, hey, just maybe even just with a gesture, like, lower it, please, just please uh, do that, if you would, for the rest of us. Sometimes not even a word needs to be uttered, just the gestures are enough, and speak loudly. Um, this time, for whatever reason, I decided to just go inward, and I meditated. I brought my mind to the Dantian, which is our center point. In Chinese, that means elixir field. Heaven's elixir field is the idea. In our, by our belly button. And there I dwell, there I rest, and I circulate chi, energy, prana, around my inner world, up through the microcosmic orbit and down, and at other moments I'm simply just gathering this vaporous, refined, subtle substance right in my center and building, building, building. So rather than getting aggravated or being external, I just decided to go internal. And that's something everyone listening can also do. Not a bad idea if someone is being annoying to a group in, in you know, a public context. Tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, please, would you mind? Thanks so much. And politeness and courtesy and showing respect are the ways to finesse this. They are, these wa- they are the ways, distinct from, or I should say contra-distinct from, hey, bub, turn that crap off. <laughs> that wouldn't go over so well. More like, as we say, a lead balloon. So, anyway, I'm just giving you a little communication coaching around here. And it's difficult because inside of us, it may feel like sandpaper. It just hurts when people are not conscious and conscientious and paying attention to the outer field, the outer space. And we have to remind them. So that level of unconsciousness, unfortunately, is ubiquitous. And it's just upon us to deal with it. And uh, in this little last segment here, I've been giving you a way to deal with it with a sense of dignity and respect for other. And so the dignity of the other also remains intact. Yelling and screaming and ranting and raving, ah, it doesn't leave much room for dignity. So best not to do it. Only in the most extreme of conditions would that really be wise. Just like it's not ever good to revert to violence. No, no, no. But God forbid you are hit and smacked around and this and that and the other thing or your loved ones or your children or your spouse or your lover or your close friend or whomever. And you need to resort to violence. Basically, it's best to seek to arrest the situation. Stop it, rather than being offensive 
in the sense, be defensive in order to quell the uprising, quell it, and that way it doesn't have to escalate. So you're neutralizing it, not neutralizing the way the uh, intelligence community, uh, so-called, I consider that somewhat of an oxymoron, refer to it, neutralized our target. What language, what rhetoric, that's that's CIA speak for we killed someone, you know. What a way to live. What a way to live. Anyway, we're moving right along. Talking about world change. Well, let's just take a look at how we've already changed the world because we're changing the world literally all the time. The question is, are we conscious of the ways in which we are changing the world all the time? And is it according to our higher values or is it just sort of by default because we're all contributing daily to the collective pot of thoughts feelings ideas and actions or as the buddhists would say body speech and mind we are an emanating energy field and either what we're putting out is for the good and the well-being of sentient life Or it's mm, not so much for the good and maybe contributing actually to retarding our growth and our evolution. That is slowing it down and right at a time when we need to speed it up. So I think you get that message. So let's take a look at how our unconsciousness or greed which is a form of unconsciousness, by the way, and selfishness, another form of unconsciousness, uh, have been contributing to the current planetary situation, specifically right now in regard to global warming and CO2 emissions and the carbon footprint and what we refer to as either extreme weather or climate change. And it's hard to believe, but there are people who do not accept the science. They just disregard science. I wonder if they did that, would do that in the case of uh, a loved one of theirs that needed immediate and urgent medical assistance if all of a sudden they put the brakes on the scientific breakthroughs that happen in medicine and say, I don't believe in it. I think I'll just pray our way out of here. Or what? You know? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm big on prayer. In fact, that's going to be part of the rest of our show. (laughs) Yeah. But we actually have prayer as a scientifically proven phenomenon for healing. And so, unfortunately, we have a proven track record scientifically of carbon dioxide accumulation on the level of our atmosphere as having extremely deleterious effects. That and methane, of course, on our planet on all systems, on the water systems, on the currents, 
on the ability of animals to survive, on the cleanliness of our oceans and for animals and coral reefs to survive, and on and on and on it goes. So, let's start with that outer outer zone, if you will, going to our into our atmosphere. And so we want to just take take stock because in my worldview, if we ain't got a planet that's habitable, it's sort of like game over. And everybody says that. You know, Paul Hawken, Bill McKibben, the people who are leaders in the environmental movement um, and just plain old scientists, who climatologists, who are looking at the situation and assessing it as best they can, all most of whom probably have families and want to see good for the future of their children and grandchildren, but they're seeing things where that future is looking rather dismal. And so all that I want to speak about peace and social justice and economic justice and political justice and treating people fairly and kindly and compassionately and all that I want to speak about healing and all of the wonderful modalities that are emerging, the use of sound, the use of harmonics, the use of music, the use of course of our standard tunes like homeopathy and Chinese medicine and acupuncture and herbs and thing and on it goes. I mean, hands-on healing and Reiki and the reconnection and the tapping and oh, the menu is fantastic. All that I want to speak about these things, and I will, if we don't have a home in which to live with fresh air and clean water and real food, we're in trouble because our days are numbered. We're either going to become very distorted, our immune system will be twisted like a pretzel, our hormonal system will not be functioning and firing properly, nor will our neurons, for that matter. Our nervous system will not be able to detect danger, or it will be detecting danger everywhere, which becomes an overload, and that's what we then would refer to as excess stress, not stress. Here we say stress is good. Stress is good. It helps us become who we are with a challenge. It's the excess stress that causes illness, emotional and physical, mental fatigue. That, my friends, is the danger zone. That's the red zone. So coming back to our precious, beautiful planet that gives us life, we want to know a few things. We want to take stock of a few items. By 2100, they say, those scientists, climatologists, that there will be a 50% increase in lightning strikes if global warming continues at its current pace. Cows emit more methane than the oil industry and are a huge factor in global warming. Norway is ranked as the country least likely to be affected by climate change, and Chad is the most vulnerable. Africa is found to be particularly vulnerable to climate change because of the existing pressure 
on its ecosystem and its low capacity to adapt. Earth Overshot Day is an annual event when humanity's consumption outstrips Earth's production of resources. This event is getting earlier in each passing year. In 2000, it landed in October, and in 2015, it was August 13th. If this rate is continued, then by 2030, it could occur on June 28th. As the world gets hotter, tempers also get fierier, and it has been noticed that violent crimes and even more become more likely. Mountains are growing taller. The glaciers that have been weighting them down and pushing them into Earth for centuries are melting. Global warming is making the atmosphere less dense. It means that there's less drag and things like satellites can go faster. Well, is that a good thing? (laughs) There's one good thing! (laughs) The ships will be able to sail along the Northwest Passage. The passage was passable 100 years ago, and melting Arctic ice from global warming will make it possible and passable again. Well, I tell you. By and large, there's a whole lot more going on than that. There is a correlation, for instance, with an increase also in suicide. As things heat up, everything heats up. As I just read, our tempers and the volatility of our psyche, it only stands to reason. We're being fried alive. Now, just a few items. Uh, All over Europe and all over the United States, records, weather records, are being broken just weekly and monthly. Already, 41 records linked to global warming have been broken this summer alone in the United States. Nigeria had temperatures of 124 degrees, never heard of, never known in Africa before. This is the kind of phenomenon that is occurring worldwide, and it is up to us to do something about it. We know that just these past week, this past week, in Greece, 60 people died from a sudden flare-up of fires that were devastating. Fires are raging all over California, Colorado, Southwest. This has been going on for days, weeks, and months. Some flames, some fires rising as high as 300 feet. And we simply do not have a way of extinguishing it. We just do not have the manpower or the technology to deal with such like this. So, my friends, what are we going to do for Donald J. Trump? to do something about it? He doesn't even think it's real. Anything that would rain on the parade of his prophets is just off the table. I don't think I have to tell you that. I think you know. But he's not alone. 
most governments across the world have characters such as that. Maybe not that extreme. I pray not. But there are people everywhere where corruption and self-interest rule the day. Not the commons. Not the public good. Not providing public service for which they have been appointed or elected. So this is what we're dealing with. And so for us to be holding our breath and waiting for these characters to be making the right decisions and right legislation and correct policies, well, honestly, it's a suicide mission. So I want to revert to us. That's right, to us. Because there are so many different types of actions that we can take, and that have been taken actually for decades, many decades. That's good news. That's the good news. There are organizations such as the Natural Resources Defense Council that are suing all the time, taking the federal government to court, taking the EPA to court, taking the Interior Department to court in the United States because of the recklessness that these agencies are exhibiting. They're supposed to be there to protect us, and they're protecting only corporate interests. Where's the soul, man? Where is the soul? It has left, it has fled the body for people in positions of authority like this joker, Scott Pruitt, I mean, he should be prosecuted. It's just insane for these people, this essentially handful of people that are dictating in a democracy. These few people are dictating. And that's the structure. We've given them this power. Well, we can confront this politically and legally. And I think those are great great ideas and the whole areas of justice can be and should be approached. The ACLU, the issues with immigration that this administration is yanking babies from their mother's breasts because they came here illegally. I don't think people should be coming here illegally either. But when you look at the larger picture You have to realize that it's U.S. policy in places like Honduras and Guatemala and El Salvador and uh, Mexico to some extent that have been forcing families to protect themselves from rape, pillage, plunder, murder in these respective countries. And not all of it pivots wholly on U.S. policy, that would be probably an overstatement. But to the extent that it is related directly to U.S. policy, to that extent, things need to flex, and we need to be able to 
help those people whose lives are threatened? Best answer, stop the meddling. Meddling? Oh, you mean like the Russians did here in our election? Yeah, something like that. The meddling that we do in other people's election, other countries' elections, and have been doing so for decades. Or just simply putting in our own puppet dictator or leader. Oh, you mean the United States does that? Oh, please. The list is long. It's, I think it breaks 100 just over the past 50 to 70 years of the United States literally placing people into positions of power. Take, for instance, Iran. So, oh, these are bad guys, right? Well, what happened in 1953 with Mosaddegh, democratically elected president, gets deposed essentially by the Dulles brothers, the CIA here in the United States, and installed in his place is a selected, not elected, Shah of Iran, who had a reputation for violence and domination and greed, and then he became the Shah. He became the single controlled leader and ruler of Iran all done by the United States of America. So fast forward to Carter's last days and the hostage crisis, and fast forward to today where the Iranians are doing what they can to protect themselves uh, from the United States in any number of ways through Hezbollah, etc., etc., across the Middle East, and they have their own ideologies too. Not that I'm fond of them, not at all. But anything that breeds war and division and divisiveness, I'm not for. But you do want to get a historical perspective on the relationships. And unfortunately, our dear president, oh, does it hurt to say that, doesn't have a clue about history. He just doesn't know any history. Or it goes in one ear and out the other because he doesn't have enough attention to really cognize the meaning of what we, the United States intelligence community, has done to these countries. I'm not going to name them. There are too many. Panama, Honduras, Nicaragua, Chile, Argentina, Iraq, everywhere. Wherever you go, you will see. But that's not the point of today's show. I want to turn our attention to a level of solution that I referenced at the beginning. And that, interestingly, is the power of attention and the power of intention. Well, we all know varying extents how influential these are, and I suggest that we're using the power of attention and the power of intention all the time. And we see results, by the way, all the time. Usually our attention is just flagging about, flailing about, and so therefore things come to us just sort of 
willy-nilly. Why? Because our consciousness is a bit willy-nilly. And so, you get what you, you reap what you have sown. But if you sow certain kinds of ideas, such as healing someone's body by having a, an idealized image of someone in, in excellent health, someone who, let's say, is wounded in one way, shape, or form, or another. Or you maintain the idea and you see the image in your mind of peace between the Palestinians and the Israelis or any group in the Middle East, for example, the Yemenis and the Saudis. Well, it's very interesting. My dear friend and colleague, Lynn McTaggart, who I just interviewed again for the third or fourth time uh, this past week, was in New York City briefly to give a talk at United Palace to start with, up in Washington Heights, and then down here in uh, Tribeca. Um, My good friend Alan Steinfeld put that on. And what a whirlwind of an evening. We broke into groups, according to her latest book, called The Power of Eight. And one person self-selected, basically, and we all agreed, who had some kind of physical or emotional imbalance, ailment. And we all focused our attention and intention on that person being healthy and healed. And we saw results literally within 15 minutes. But she wrote an entire book on the findings that she has been making in these groups of Power of Eight all over the world from personal healing of the body, the mind, the spirit, the emotions, all the way to literally establishing new records of nonviolence and peace in some of the great war-torn parts of our world. This is phenomenal. They see some of these phenomena show up literally in the Middle East one of the most war-torn areas of our world. But here in the United States, her group identified the most violent street in all of America. And where do you think that is? I had no idea. It's in St. Louis. It's called Natural Bridge Road. That's too bad because that's a very nice name for a road. But in fact, it is there that people's lives are in jeopardy just going out for a loaf of bread. And so, with one or two of her groups, small groups, they focused on that particular road. Not for a long period of time either. I'm not sure exactly how long. And it may have been over a period of a couple of days. I'm not sure of that. I'm so sorry. But the point is that even if it were for a week or two weeks, but I have a feeling it was more like half an hour once, there was a notable, statistically significant drop in crime, specifically, I should say, in violence, 
by 43%. Unheard of. Unmatched. 43%. Coincidence? (laughs) I don't think so. They actually studied the records over the past several prior years. So they had a very definite discernible pattern of violence. So when this precipitous drop occurred, there was no question as to what to attribute it to. So I began thinking, this is profound. Now, those of us in this world know a study that was conducted by the Transcendental Meditation Community back in what could have been the 1970s. That's a bit of a guess right now. I don't remember exactly, but I think it was. Where they also got hold of the violence patterns, the crime patterns in Washington, D.C. I think this was excluding the White House, by the way. Um, what we would call the inner city of Washington. And they conducted a study by meditating on and around the city for a summer. Probably twice a day, 20 minutes a time, according to the TM protocol. And they indeed saw what is truly a significant drop in the violence. But it's interesting, as Lynn well pointed out, Lynn McTaggart, who we will have on relatively soon, she said there's a distinct difference between passive meditation, which is wonderful, by the way, and active envisioning and intending. And I like to throw in attending. So, There's an entirely different brain signature that shows up. Both good, by the way, just different. In fact, the one that shows up when one is proactively intending and attending and focusing is one that's much more like, interestingly, people who have been doing a lot of inner work on themselves for a long time, like Tibetan monks, for instance, who are involved in visualizations, meditating on mandalas, mantras, chanting, and the like. It's a different brain, quite honestly, than simple passive meditation, which, by the way, is a very good brain. Don't get me wrong. It's just they're different, and that's really interesting. So when you are actively engaged, engaging your brain through your mind, and putting it on a certain uh, theme, image, topic, value. There's a sense of connectedness that occurs. And those were the talks I was giving just now down at the Shivananda Yoga Ashram in the Bahamas at uh, Paradise Island there. So beautiful. What a special time I had there. And the audience was very receptive to these ideas of working with quantum fields, and in a sense you could say working with quantum reality, where we are going beyond what's visible, 
We're going beyond using verbal, beyond what's verbal. And working with these fields have profound effects. They have profound effects. Notable and even measurable. So that's really where I'm going today, folks. If we see that without even legislation around guns, although I think we should have it, or around uh, punitive measures for violent crimes, which I think we should have, not punitive, rehabilitative, that's what I think, rehabilitative, that's what we need, not more punishment. It's old, doesn't work. And even out in uh, California's most high maximum security prisons, one called the Shoe, they are finally, after decades, realizing that solitary confinement and treating people terribly is not the way to get the results they want. They want people who could be integrated back into society. You're not going to do it by beating them up or letting themselves beat each other up. It's not going to work. The Native American peoples had it right all along. These acts of violence, or greed, by the way, are expressions of a sickness. There's an illness that needs to be healed, that needs to be cured. And with that attitude, which is one of compassion, we can bring about the outcomes we want. And I'm saying this specifically in light of the utilization of attention and intention and focus. And you've heard me talk about this many, many times. Uh, My dear friend and colleague, Joe Dispenza, who's been on these airwaves as well many times, uh, speaks of this as well and about profound changes that look like they utterly defy reality or the laws of nature. But St. Augustine reminds us that miracles are not contrary to nature. They are contrary to what we know about nature and understand. But once we understand the larger physics, if you will, the larger, higher, new biology, we see things work very differently than classical Newtonian physics or, for that matter, classical biology. Those items are true, too, but they are subsets, I like to put it, of a larger picture. Even Jude Curavan, who spoke to us recently on these airwaves about about the universe essentially being consisting of information, is another way to look at everything. It's another story. It's another narrative. Anything that will empower us to be empowered, to make the changes we want to see in the world, and using our mind, these incredible minds, these awesome brains and nervous systems that we've been given that are so undercut and underrated by our business-as-usual lifestyle, being disempowered almost everywhere we look, 
taught that we need to buy this and we need to engage him or her. We need to go to the doctor. We need to take the drug, on and on and on. Well, there are cases where those those professionals are of great value. So don't get me wrong. However, for everything, we need to rely on politicians. For everything, oh my God, God save us. But to the extent that we can corral the energy and the power and the belief and the, make the commitment among ourselves, speaking among ourselves, to that extent, my friends, and science is proving this out, we make the difference that we want to see in the world. We all truly want a world of peace. We want health, wellness, and well-being. We want truth instead of fiction. Although some good novels are a wonderful thing. Don't get me wrong. We want justice. We want a clean environment. We want pure air. We want clean water. We want healthy soil full of worms, bacteria, amoeba. That's what we want. So we can have good, healthy food and good, healthy guts. And how do we do this? Well, yeah, we want to do it on a material, physical plane as well. By making certain kinds of choices, growing certain kinds of foods, cleaning up our air, and having practices, habits, if you will, that, that generate these. But there's also the other level. And that other level is what I keep pointing my finger to, which is the level of our mind over matter. That's correct. Mind over matter. And so, we have proof. We have evidence. We have science. It's not just anecdotal. It's actual proof. And it's time for us to sign it. Sit up and take note that this is the case and own our own power and be empowered to act on these levels. And it's best in groups. It just ends up that way. What is the old biblical phrase? Where two or more are gathered, so it is in my name, right? So it is. Now, instead of two or more, let's go for three or four or five, okay? Uh, or eight, as Lynn would have it. and uh, Or a thousand, for that matter. It's okay. And it probably is the case that more is better. But do not underestimate the power of simply five or six or seven or eight. And the science, as I said, proves it out. So from that point of view, I would certainly recommend that you pick up a copy of Lynn McTaggart's book called The Power of Eight. It will help to buttress a lot of what it is I'm saying and provide you with a good amount of science. And my interview with her will be on A Better World TV in the not-too-distant future. So if you get our newsletter and keep paying attention, you will be able to see it from wherever you are in the world. Just go to abetterworld.tv. So I think you've got the picture. It's really us. 
And we really can go beyond governments in order to see through what we believe is the world that we want. So, it's not relying on others, but it's utilizing all forces, but especially our own minds, to go beyond the ordinary and believe in what's possible. Believe in magic. And this is only a word I use, but the science bears it out. And it's exciting, and it's opening up a new vista for us all. So, I hope you enjoyed today's show. I think I got the message across once, twice, or thrice. And if you have any questions or comments, I love hearing from you at mjr at a better world. MJR at abetterworld.net. Yes, you could visit us also on Facebook, A Better World Media, or my own Mitchell Rabin page. But uh, that's not as reliable a way to reach me. Best really by email. Oh, I know some of you may feel that's old fashioned, but <laughs> I don't think so. I like it. Um, and you can also. Uh, feel free to make donations. We so appreciate. They really help us stay on the air and to sustain and God willing to thrive. We also are looking for interns for video editing as well as for social media and for administration. And that is best if you are in New York City near the East Village, but not at all limited to that. You can be anywhere in the world and through our wonderful electronics and technologies these days, we can possibly work things out. So on that note, I want to just thank you all. Remember, we have a series of services here at A Better World from the Harmonic Energetic Balancing Program to my communications, stress management, consulting, and coaching to the use of biofeedback for individuals, for couples, for families, feel free to be in touch again at mjr at abetterworld.net or 212-420-0800. We also have very healthy, uh, very pure organic products available and ways of becoming an entrepreneur in making the world a better place. A social entrepreneur, as it were. Well, thank you so much for joining today. I so appreciate it. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.